What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and today we'll be doing a something of a minor league blowout episode, and there's no one better on the planet to join me for that episode than Eric Cole of Talking Chop. What's up, man? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man, for the most part. Uh, I guess we probably have to hit this before we get going today uh, for baseball fans. I, I can't imagine anybody... Is listening to this podcast now that has not heard this news, but uh, Marlins star pitcher Jose Fernandez unfortunately passed away uh, between yesterday and today in a boating accident. Uh, details are available if you want to search for them, um, but it's certainly a tragic, new, a tragic thing that happened. Tragic news for uh, everyone in the baseball world, and we have to bring that up and uh, send condolences the Marlins way and to the family, especially. Uh, and I believe his uh, pr- his girlfriend is pregnant as well. You know, one of the worst possible stories imaginable. We have to get to that now as a baseball podcast. Uh, Eric, I guess I'll ask you, uh, you know, thoughts about Jose Fernandez and uh, what can, what will you remember, et cetera, et cetera. I am genuinely heartbroken. He, it, I'm not sure if it's even that close. He's probably my favorite non-Braves player playing baseball. And, you know, it, it's funny you know the first uh, the first scrum he was kind of involved with with the Braves. You know a lot of Braves fans kind of jumped on him, and, and then he owned up to maybe crossing a couple lines here and there uh, with with Brian McCann and all that stuff. And for whatever reason, that really endeared himself to Braves fans. To now, like it just seemed like on Twitter, whenever he would be pitching against the Braves or anything would happen. You know, Braves fans were usually they're not kind to opposing players at all, and a lot of times. But you'd hear, see these tweets like, "Wow, he's he's just so good," or "He's really fun to watch," or "He has you know he has a great attitude," or "I love the way he plays." Uh, even recently, when there's been some bad blood between the two teams, the Marlins and the Braves, uh, and he got buzzed high and tight by Jose Ramirez, there wasn't the you know that's what you get types t- tweets or those types of reactions. It was a lot of you know what is Jose Ramirez thinking. You know, it's he, there's not a lot of players that endear themselves to opposing fan bases the way that Jose did, uh, and there's been a lot of great moments with you know his reactions to you know you know home runs or uh, even the, the my favorite is the gift where you know Troy Tulowitzki you know but did the rights had a line drive up the middle, and you know Jose Fernandez just snatched it out of, snatched it out of the air and you can see Tulowitzki stop dead. And ask if he caught that, and Jose just said yes, yes, I did. Uh, and you know, it's he was a very, very fun player to watch. He was an outstanding pitcher. Uh, probably had the best among the best stuff in the league, and he was well on his way if he could stay healthy to being a Hall of Fame player. And I enjoyed watching him a lot. And when the news broke this morning, I was like genuinely very upset. Um. And I hope that you know his family, you know, can move on and move past this, um, and you know, find a way to endure. But there's ultimately there's going to be a grandmother and a mother without a son anymore, and you know, a son or a daughter without a dad um, that you know is hasn't even will never get the chance to even meet him. So it's really sad. Um, the baseball, the baseball world is a little bit of a darker place as a result. Absolutely, and uh, you know, obviously, our words can't really do anything justice here. But I had the same, I had the same feeling you did waking up to that news uh, this morning was uh, heart- heartbreaking, to be sure. As some, as much as you can for someone that uh, that you've never met or spoken to. But uh, 
Fernandez was that kind of uh, that kind of figure, uh, that kind of player. As much as the baseball stuff doesn't matter, your uh, your point is certainly uh, worth noting that he was you know, one of the best players in the league, one of the most fun players to watch in the league, and uh, his memory will certainly endure. We wanted to at least talk about that at the top here, and while we'll, we're going to get to some lighter stuff, and, and, had to be talked and about. Cer- and it's certainly worth noting that despite the fact that you know Jose Fernandez is one of the more well-known baseball players and probably some of the more well-liked by the fan base, it still didn't just stop the Atlanta Journal-Constitution from screwing up the posting of their article about the matter by saying a Marlins player died, and then a picture of like when he was in the middle of a brawl with a Rays player. I was... I did. I did not understand how that was handled. Well, how that even could come close to being handled the way it was. But there are, a few, yeah, there were a few. Uh, and you know, we won't, we don't want to give too much platform to these people, but a couple of uh, rather inappropriate uh, tweets and things out there today. But what's not? Let's not focus on that for sure. It's definitely <laughs> it's definitely annoying. But uh, let's. Uh, I guess you know, twenty four year old uh, pitcher and human and man is gone, and that's definitely unfortunate. But so we want to talk about that now before we get to. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, baseball stuff and lighter stuff that matters a lot less than that. But we right. should note that, uh, you know, rest in peace, Jose Fernandez. And uh, we'll certainly uh, we'll be remembering uh, him and his family in this time for sure. For sure. All right. Well, uh, as we try to transition out of that, we can talk some baseball. That is what we are assembled here as usual. And before we get to the minor league sort of recap for 2016, I do want to hit on a little bit of news um, from this week from the Braves. Uh, aside from Saturday, um, where, where the Braves actually lost, they had won seven games in a row, which is always nice. Uh, unless you're unless you're of the of the fan of tanking, and that's kind of out the window at this point, given the standing. So it's at this point, I think it's safe to root for the Braves to win, and they won seven in a row prior to Saturday. And obviously, Sunday's game did not take place, so they've won seven of eight. Right now, that's like at least uh, worth mentioning, I think. And uh, with that, though, Eric, I have to ask you this. We talked about it a little bit last week on the podcast, but I wanted to get your thoughts. With the Braves playing so well, there's been tons of talk about Brian Snicker taking over the job long term as the manager. Uh, even even some people, um, some high profile people, sort of caping for Snicker to not even really have to go through the interview process to kind of just be handed the job. What are your thoughts on uh, his prospects and whether that should, that's an actual scenario that should exist in uh, 2016 and heading into 2017? Well, I mean, I definitely think there should be an interview process. Uh, I know guys like Bill Shanks and there's a few, a few, and there's a few others really that are really kind of pulling for Snicker just to, just to be handed the job. But I don't, I don't see Snicker as a particularly great tactician necessarily, uh, but I do respect and understand the fact that both the players seem to love him and that the team is playing better under him. Now, it's kind of hard to compare apples and oranges since we're not talking about the same teams necessarily that was fielding, you know, Eric Ibar and, you know, the bad version of Adonis Garcia with Hector Oliveira in the first half versus, you know, Matt Kemp, Dansby Swanson, uh, and, the you know, a reborn Adonis Garcia in the second half. So it's kind of hard to compare the two apples to oranges in terms of, like, you know, this is the Freddy Gonzalez version and this is the Brian Snitker version. Uh, but I, I I can at least understand the fact that this team seems to be playing well under Snitker and responding well to him. Um, I still think it's a good idea just to you know give guys like Bo Porter, Terry Pendleton, uh, maybe even a Bud Black, uh, who I don't necessarily think is super great either. But at least going through an idea of you know going through the process of interviewing some candidates, seeing if some there's some changes for the positive that can be made uh, in terms of the management structure. Uh, and just kind of see where it, those conversations lead, because maybe who knows? You know, maybe Snitker wants to start things off differently, and it's worth knowing that from an interview process. Or 
any of these guys. Uh, I don't have necessarily a problem with keeping Snitker. Uh, I don't think he's done anything that's so egregious that makes me think, you know, he doesn't deserve to be a, a major league manager at all. But I'm also not excited about it. So I think going through the process is has value. Um, and you know, at the same time, I don't think there's a great you know tactical manager out there that's going to be necessarily gaining you a ton of value just because he's on your bench either. I would rather go just they they have to go through the process like you're saying. It would be kind of you know, I won't be happy, I don't think, if they end up hiring Snicker because I'm just, as you said, I don't think he's a very good tactician. That's kind of what I want in the next manager. But I won't be, I won't be furious provided they actually do a search and do some interviews and do that stuff. If they hand in the job, I'm going to be very upset. No, uh, I can... I can definitely respect that, but I just don't see like a Joe Madden, oh, Buck sure. Walter. I just don't see any of those guys out there. So I'm just like, I don't know how I can really be that upset about, you know, keeping Snitker when the ultimately the team does seem to be responding to him. Yeah, they're gonna have to go off the board um, to somebody who we have not, who we're not thinking about in order to get that actual tactician. You know, I don't know how much Copy and John Hart and those guys value that in a manager. You know, we've uh, between Bobby and Freddie and now Snitker, they've gone. You know almost 30 years, I guess, you know, about 30 years without having a tactical manager. So, you know, players, managers is kind of what this organization really has valued in the past. And if you listen to a lot of stuff from the, from the players right now, it's all this players manager stuff about Snicker, about how he has their back, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's always good to have your players like you, but at the same time, it's really going to come down to what they value as an organization and the people that are making the hire, because if it's, if it's tactician stuff, that Snickers not going to be their guy, but if it's more you know clubhouse behind the scenes stuff that they value at a higher level, then he's he's certainly going to be in the mix, if not the front runner, if, judging by what we've uh, what, what we've seen here now. Yeah, and as he should be, he just should definitely be in the mix. He hasn't done anything to make me think he should not be you know managing or anywhere near a manager's job. But you know it's worth taking a look at these other guys. For sure, and I wanted to bring that up with you. We talked about it last week. We won't keep going on it. And also, you know, a couple quick hitting things before we get to the prospect stuff. Freddie Freeman's uh, on-base and hitting streaks continue. Uh, 28-game hitting streak right now. That's five games short of Dan Ugla's Atlanta franchise record and a 44-game on-base streak. We don't have to talk about this a ton, but Freddie Freeman's awesome, right? I mean, he's amazing. He's uh, top 10 in the war now uh, in the entirety of the league, top three in the NFL and in, in the NL. Uh, so, you know... And I actually read a story that, like, you know, maybe Freddie Freeman will get a few 10th place MVP votes in the NL. And I'm like, you have lost your mind. I mean, I'm not saying Chris Bryant. I'm, look, Chris Bryant's, you know, he's having an all world season right now, and he definitely deserves it. But, like, at the same time, it's like, you're not going to give him top three or top five votes. He only gets a couple top 10 votes. You've lost. I mean, he's one of the best players in the NL. Uh, he's been probably the best player in the second half of the season, uh, possibly in all of baseball. Uh, I was taking a look at it earlier, and there's three players in all of baseball that have acquired, accumulated more war in the second half of the season than Freeman has. Do you have? Do you think? Who do you take a guess as who's those three? Those three, three players who have accumulated more than him. Ooh, this is a guess. Uh, Mike Trout. Yep. Um, ooh, that's where it gets difficult after that guy who's better than everyone else at baseball. Well, I mean, I mean, when you're talking about war, I mean, Trout's a pretty good guess. Just about yeah, all. he's always the right. He's always the right answer. Uh, I don't know, not Altuve. Let's go, Mookie Betts. Yep, that's number two. Uh, and I'll go. I'll say Joey Votto. He's been ridiculous too. Nope. All right, I guess Brian Dozier. Oh, Brian Dozier's been abs- absurd. In yeah, he's he's hitting. He he's Barry Bonds in Minnesota, basically, is what he's doing. But like, yeah, it's been it's been wild. Um, he's the best. He's the best first baseman in the league by a full one WAR, which is like for first baseman, that's not 
a, that's not a small number to try to accumulate over other these a lot of these other guys. He's he's been amazing. Uh, he should get some top three, top five uh, MVPs consideration this year, even though the the Ravens have been this bad. Um, and it's really heartening to see how well he's been doing, um, especially with Matt Kemp in the lineup. And there was a lot of questions about Freddie, even coming into the season and during that first couple months where he was struggling as to whether or not he was worth the money, uh, whether or not he was a guy who could carry an offense. Uh, and as we can see, he's very much a guy who can do that. Uh, and he's been a lot of fun to watch. Freddie's been absurd. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, as much as the MVP stuff is going to infuriate me because you know he's not going to get enough love. I'm not saying he should win it because he shouldn't, but he should get more yeah, votes than he's going to get. I, I feel confident yeah. saying that he, sh- he should get more votes than he's going to get. <laughs> um, uh, I, I agree. Uh, you know, a lot of voters, they, they value team records more than probably they should. Just, um, wait, just wait till Trout doesn't win the AL because he's not going to win that, it that's, again. That is absolute, that, that's lunacy. But That's going to happen, so prepare yourself. I've already been preparing for about know, a month now that he's not going to win it, so... Anyway, all right, and before we get to the uh, recap portion, this is sort of a prospect update, but uh, John Coppolilla indicated this week, I believe it was via Dave O'Brien of the AJC, that Ozzie Albies, uh, his surgery went well, uh, which is uh, exactly what you want to hear. You know, most of the time you hear that that's the case, but it's good to have that reinforced. And uh, the big thing is that Coppy said that Albies should be fully recovered for the start of spring training 2017, which is what exactly what you want to hear. There was some... Some trepidation, not not fear, but uh, at least just that lingering in the back of everyone's mind that could be a lingering injury, and it looks like Albies should be ready to go when the, the team heads to Florida in the spring, which is, I guess, a nice thing, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a weird in- – well, I say kind of weird. It, it's essentially the tip of the elbow, and so you have to have surgery to kind of put pins in and stabilize it. So it's kind of one of those things that either heals great or if it's, you know, if it's a bad fracture and it's like broken in a bad way – it doesn't. It's not an easy thing to stabilize, and it takes a long time. Uh, but it sounds like it was a pretty. It was a pretty straightforward. You know, a pretty straightforward procedure. Uh, it wasn't like a super bad break, or like you know, it wasn't like you know a, a piece that was you couldn't set back or anything like that. Um, so that was really. I mean, that was obviously good. At the same time, I wish that Ozzy would have had some time to play in the fall league, the Arizona Fall League, uh, and he would probably the, be the starter for at second base right out of the gate for the Braves. Uh, this does put that in doubt a bit. Uh, but even then, he can still he could probably still if he could recover and get, get on a good timetable, he could be the you know the starter second base right out of spring training. So um, it's, it's definitely it, possible. I mean, I'm not sure. Again, like you mentioned, it's not going to be a slam dunk in the way that I thought it was going to be pre injury. No. I think we all kind of assumed and penciled him in at second base, and now it's more of a maybe than a probably. I would say. Yeah, I would call it. I would call it a maybe. They might give. They might need to give him a little bit of time. Just even just some rehab starts, just to kind of make sure he's good to go. But uh, I don't. It's not. And it's not one of those like ligament, you know, those types of injuries, or you know, like a structural thing that makes me worry about him long term necessarily. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of, the in- kind of bad luck. Yeah, the injury was not good news, but the uh, the update was. So we'll uh, we'll accept that positivity from Copy and the organization on Albies, and hopefully he'll be a hundred percent in the very near future. Because I'd like to see him at least get a shot at the job in spring training. All right, let's sure. get a, let's get away from uh, the major league stuff. We'll be focusing that on a couple of podcasts coming up, where I'm going to do a major league recap at some point in the future. Because I know we get complaints, Eric, as you f- full well know. We get we do too much minor league coverage on TalkingChop.com. Yeah, so <laughs> let's not let's I not gotta, do this. Let's I, not. I, I, so I, this was kind of my bad a little bit. Uh, I, I got Brad told me that we got these these requests, and I decided I was going to be funny and say that we were only going to do a weekly or monthly recaps. 
I didn't fully understand how strongly people felt about this. Uh, and suffice it to say that, yes, of course, we'll be doing daily minor league recaps during the regular season. Um, and I probably got more votes for hourly recaps as opposed to monthly or weekly. So uh, we'll, we'll be covering the minor leagues as much, if not more, next year. So fear not, people. Everything's fine. That was my bad. We're not, yeah, we're not going anywhere on minor league stuff. We all know that that's uh, a huge part of the site, and uh, you guys do phenomenal work. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll blow smoke up your butt later in the podcast. But anyway, <laughs> let's get to the uh, let's get to the minor league, the minor league recap for the year. Uh, a bunch of uh, major league debuts we should mention: Dansby Swanson, Aaron Blair, Rob Whalen, Tyrell Jenkins, Mauricio Cabrera, John Gant, Rio Ruiz, finally, and Malik Smith. Uh, have all debuted um, out of the system this year. Uh, you don't have to break down all these guys, but you know a name or two uh, that you were just to kind of takeaways on guys who came up this year. Obviously, Dansby's the biggest name, but a bunch of guys who are noteworthy and some that are you know less noteworthy but still uh, are a factor moving forward. So a takeaway or two from you on those? Um, Dansby's great. Uh, if you've been watching him play shortstop of late, he all he seems to do is catch everything and make big outs. Uh, Aaron Blair probably you know owes him a beer after you know basically saving four or five runs just the other day with all those basic little jams that Dansby was bailing him out on uh he's really good uh he's hitting he's hitting the ball well uh the power is not really there yet but at the same time he's hit he's hit some balls on the nose that just were kind of right at guys or as you know just missed some home runs here and there uh he, he's gonna be he's the, the guy that you want playing shortstop he's at you know, at at very best, he's still going to be like a two. At his very worst, he'll probably be a two or three WAR player. Uh, at his best, he could be an All Star. Um, I've been shocked at Mauricio Cabrera's ability to throw strikes uh, in the minor leagues. He did not have that ability at all. Uh, he was very much one of those relievers that's like, okay, well, it's going to be one out and the bases loaded. Now let's see what's going to happen because he is was notorious for walking guys. I did not think much of him. I mean, he has a triple digits fastball, so you can't just dis- ever discount that. Um, but I just did not think his command or his control were going to be there. And he's gotten to the major leagues, and he's been like a legitimate force. Uh, not only is he throwing the you know throwing the ball you know hundred plus miles an hour every time he goes out there, uh, but he's getting outs and he's becoming a very reliable member of that bullpen. Uh, and between him and when this guy you know is back, and uh, you know Shea Simmons is fully healthy again, uh, I feel really good about the bullpen going forward. Um, uh, a couple of guys I'm. I've been a little bit disappointed with uh, Aaron Blair's been really uneven. Um, even that, with that's the new- a very con way of putting Aaron Blair's performance. Well, you know, he had that first start back, and it's like, okay, it looks like the new, the new mechanics, and you know, maybe that's doing making a difference. And then against the Marlins the other day, he was just he was not fooling anybody and not throwing strikes. It was just it wasn't a good it wasn't it was not a good outing. Uh, and again, if it wasn't for Dansby playing shortstop the way he was, that that uh, instead of the five runs he gave up, it would have been a lot worse. Um, and same thing for Tyrell. Uh, you know, I don't with both these guys. It's kind of hard to project them going forward because they're not the same pitchers they are in the majors and versus the minors. And it's almost like exacerbate, exacerbated problem. Their flaws are exacerbated in the majors, and you just never know what that means for a guy. Is that just like a mental approach, or is it just minor tweaks and he can start getting the the outs he needs to get? I don't know. Um, with Aaron, I feel a little more optimistic about Aaron Blair being a starter going forward than Tyrell, maybe just because. Agreed. Um, but at the same time, I don't really know, and I do think that his that Tyrell's future in the bullpen could be bright. Um, you know, if he could just because his stuff would play differently if he only had to worry about throwing an inning or two. Um, I was willing to let him pitch himself out of that starter role because I do think that he had earned the, at least that chance. Uh, I'm just not sure if he has done enough 
with his chance to even like consider him being a starter going forward. Um, for sure. Uh, and uh, Malix would be a center fielder. I would normally be absolutely happy to have Manning center field because he, he he's a great fielder. He you know he he's kind of a prototypical center fielder, really fast, could be a top of an order player on any other team that didn't have Ender and Ciarte on it because Ender has been amazing, <laughs> which makes me wonder if maybe Malik Smith uh, has maybe a future on another team or possibly as a fourth outfielder for the Braves. Yeah, we talk about that a ton, so I don't want to get into it too big. But yeah, Ender Ender's been so good that it's almost made the Malik situation even even weirder. He was already sort of a weird case given the injury and all that stuff, but uh, he's certainly blocked. Uh, in, a, in a perfect world, you want to, you want Ender playing center field, and that's the spot where Malik absolutely needs to play in order to have his most value. So it's it's definitely a debate the Braves will have in the next couple of months as to what yeah, they're going mean, to do. I mean, well, he's definitely one of those players that you like having on a roster because he's a good pin, he's a great pinch runner. You know, yeah. assuming that you know the re- the re- the you know the review gods are kinder next year. Um, but I mean, Ender, you can't keep Ender out of a lineup right now. I mean, uh, aside from the fact that he's actually been hitting really, really well, um, he's a nearly a four-war player despite missing a big chunk of time. Uh, and he's uh, just looking at in terms of defensive metrics, he was the third best center fielder in baseball this year uh, by by a lot of metrics, including defensive runs saved. I do just want to mention this because it blew my mind. Who who is the worst defensive center fielder in baseball this year based on defensive runs saved? Who do you think it is? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I don't want to guess and be wrong. Um, you, yeah, I, I, I would be shocked if you got this right. Bryce Harper, Andrew McCutcheon. Okay, that makes that actually. He's not. It's not been good for Kutch this year. It's not been negative twenty four defensive run saves. Well, that's impossibly bad. That that's like I don't believe that. That's, that's a that's, that's a that's a Donos Garcia. The entire year. If he fell asleep, that would be Matt Kemp playing center field right now. Yeah, essentially negative negative twenty four defensive runs saved for Andrew McCutcheon. See, he, is he, that and he, and he, and he I he not usually no. I, That's I don't. I, he has to be hurt. That's the only conclusion I can come to is that he's hurt because yeah. I mean he's he's usually a guy that has like great range, great jumps. You know he's like you know you see him on like top ten plays. You know he like he can make good plays. He makes the ones he's supposed to. I don't know. It, I I I thought I was reading it wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's that's bizarre. Uh, but you know, it, yep. yeah, sorry, sorry, Kutch. Sorry, sorry to bring you up in this. In this <laughs> I mean, and I love it. I love McCutcheon. Love him. It's just I don't know. Yeah, it's just um, been, it was looking at the list. I was like, I don't understand. Andrew McCutcheon's at the bottom of this list, and it was wild. I'm a big fan too. That's that's a bit odd. Um, I guess I should ask you about the new additions as well. Obviously, the Braves, uh, probably more so than most teams, had a ton of influx of talent during the season. Uh, a bunch of high-profile draftees. Uh, Kevin Maiton and all of the international guys, uh, trades for guys like Travis DeMera, Anthony Seymour, Akil Morris, Michael Mader, uh, just tons of guys coming in. Um, I guess, you know, they've all, they've all had an opportunity to play for the Braves at this point. Um, guys you've been pleased with when you, when they, when they uh, since they've arrived, the trade that you love the most, uh, something, just give me something to take away from all of the influx because there's, you know, there's dozens of guys, so we're not trying to break down all of them, but. Uh, just a, a thing or two that you were pleased with, or that you did not enjoy uh, during the during the during this season. Okay, um, we'll do the things I enjoyed. Uh, number one, positive first, Eric. Po- well, we're going to say positive. Okay, the international free agent signings went astonishingly well, well for the Braves. Um, they didn't kind of like just sign all these, you know, a lot of these Cuban signees were just to spend as much money as humanly possible. Some teams did do that. 
Uh, they didn't do that. They went for the guys that they thought had the most talent, and they 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 spent plenty of money doing it. Uh, and the first things first is they went after the top guy, Kevin Maton, who by all accounts is a monster. Uh, there's reports already coming out of Instructs that he's hitting balls over the trees at, at, at Instructs, and this is we're talking about a kid that's you know 17 years old. Uh, so he seems to be doing really well. Uh, another guy that seems to be getting a lot of love is Junior Severino, who's a guy who's a shortstop prospect right now, but he's another guy that might end up moving to third. Uh, apparently his power is a little more than everyone was kind of thought it was, and he is hitting the, book, the cover off the ball at Instructs right now. So those are two guys that I'm kind of looking, for, looking forward to seeing more of. Uh, I'm, we're going to be getting some more official reports from Instructs, uh, uh, if not tomorrow, definitely Tuesday. Um, then, of course, there was the draft, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we got to see, see the Braves orchestrate a draft strategy where they basically got three first-round pitchers uh, with their first three picks uh, by spreading, spreading their money around. Uh, I'm probably the most excited about Ian Anderson. I think that the guy that they picked first, uh, I'm kind of on board with how good he is. Uh, and like you know, with three plus pitches, some pitchability and upside to even you know creep up into you know the mid to higher nineties with his fastball and you know with a really quality breaking ball and a changeup, uh, he's the guy that I'm the most, probably the most excited about from that crop. A uh, little worried about Joey Wentz just because I've you know his velocity's been down since he turned pro, but it's kind of with high school guys they're you know their their arms you know by the end of the year they're tired, so I'm willing to kind of wait and see there. Um, and I really loved the trade for Travis Demerit. Uh, just yeah. <laughs> like the the Rangers are just like we need a starting pitcher, and the Braves are like, well, see that guy you got down there that's leading his league in home runs. Uh, you can you can have Lucas Harrell. <laughs> it's just so comical they flipped like, Lucas like, Harrell into, into I, like, a real thing, and and like you know, and he was hitting so well at the time it happened. The, and the Rangers are like, uh, sure, that's fine. Uh, just throw in Dario Alvarez. And the Braves are like, well, yeah, these are just guys we literally signed for nothing. Nothing. And, and now we get a, a guy who's, I mean, some places have him at, as a top 10 prospect for us. I have him a little bit lower than that. But at the same time, he has, like, very real power and, you know, at a position of where that power doesn't exist. Uh, and, he, you know, he has real tools and he's genuinely a good player, real good on-base, on-base skills, really good, you know, really strong raw power and it, it's starting to play in games and I – when that trade happened and I kind of started looking into him more, I was just like, I don't even understand, like, why the Rangers were thinking, like, Lucas Harrell, really? It was an, abs- okay. an absolute heist and uh, another, just another one of copies. So I think we lose sight of the individual ones sometimes, but just another ridiculous heist. And we, got, we, got a, we, actually got, we actually got a lot of mailbag questions about demerit in various forms, so I'm glad we touched on him a little bit. I do have a couple of mailbag questions. We normally save those for the end, but I want to get them to you here, actually on a few different players that were already in the system, um, but still guys that are very interesting. Uh, the first one comes from Tyler Warner on Twitter. He asks, uh, does Patrick Weigel start in Gwinnett, and do you think he has a chance of eventually making it to the big leagues in 2017? Uh, does he start in AAA? Absolutely not. I, I, I would put the odds of him starting in AA at like 95%. Uh, I would be shocked if they moved him up that quickly. He did not have very many starts at AA. Uh, and I think that they it took it took a lot for him to earn that spot. How do I put it? To earn the spot at Mississippi to begin with, because they were wanting to move him slowly anyway. He has a history of command issues. Uh, we didn't see it a whole lot this year, but it was still there at times. Uh, and I think they want to give him the time he needs to get command of his pitches, get used to you know how 
higher, better hitters, you know, can command the strike zone themselves and what he needs to do and make adjustments to do that. Uh, I think he starts at double A. Now, in the same breath, I would say if he pitches well to begin at double A, that I don't think that they would hesitate much at this point to move him to triple A, which puts him right in the running to be pitching at the next level because what it looks like the Braves are going to do, I don't foresee them going after, well, that's a different story altogether, but I, I don't think it's likely they'll end up acquiring a like frontline starter this offseason that will occupy a roster spot no matter what. So if we see these one of these veteran guys that maybe they sign struggle, there's going to be a need in the rotation. And with some guys falling out of favor that are prospects, one wonders if maybe they'd give Weigel a shot because he is a college guy, so he has a little bit more age, a little bit more physical maturity, uh, and his stuff is very real. I mean, we're talking about a fastball that approaches triple digits with a wipeout slider, you know, a pretty good curve, and a changeup that, you know, would, given his velocity, is certainly going to keep people honest. So I can see it happening, but um, I'm not super, I don't think it's super likely. There's more maybe in that 30% range. Yeah, that's a guy who we don't talk about a ton, so I'm glad that that question came across and you know some encouragement oh, I, from you. Yeah, we get asked about him all the time. He's he's been very interesting this year to watch. Yeah, and obviously I know we write about him, but it's just I think in the in the general Braves country, I think that's not a guy you really hear about a ton. Oh, for sure. So uh, it should be. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about that just a little bit. And the second one comes from Justin Easter, who asks uh, pretty simply, "What's the future for Lucas Sims? Uh, Sims was that uh, you know as a local product." So always had always a ton of attention on Lucas Sims, but uh, had a, an encouraging start the season, and then a woeful middle, and you know some up and down stuff from Sims. So what's the future there in your mind? Next year matters a lot. Uh, he the problem with Lucas is when he's mechanically right, and you know he's not coming. You know, in, especially in how, especially when how he's finishing in his delivery, uh, he needs to stay consistent because his mechanics, for whatever reason can get thrown out of whack fairly easily. And that's a problem because when his mechanics aren't right, two things happen. One, his fastball becomes flat. And that means that mean like, you know, any major league hitter or at least even higher minors, 94, 95 down the middle. That's bad news because they know it's coming. There's no life. There's no doubt. He's not getting downward run on it. And the other problem is that he has no idea where his other stuff is going. So he ends up walking a lot of guys, and so he ends up having to lean on his fastball to throw strikes, and his fastball isn't, doesn't have the life on it. So as a result, he'll see him like walk, walk, two-run double. You know what I mean? And you have those, see those bad innings come out of him. Um, but it's something that he has fixed in the past, and he has made improvements with. So it's ultimately on him next year. I would guess that they start him off at AAA next year, just the blind guess. Uh, you know, you know, keeping him two years in Double A doesn't make much sense uh, developmentally either. He's got it or he doesn't. I think he starts at Triple A next year, and it's going to ma- mean that's ultimately going to be the the make. It might be the make or break year for him in terms of being a prospect because when he, it's not like when he's bad, he doesn't look like he's ready for the majors. When he's bad, like the, it's not possible for his team to win because he gives he he has those types of like bad innings uh, when his mechanics aren't right. Uh, but when his mechanics are right, and he he will strike out. A batter plus an inning, and he's unhittable. So it's going to be tough. I think he's going to start off. At, I'm think he's going to start off at AAA, uh, and we still like him. Uh, but I'm cognizant of the fact that there's been a couple times in his career where his mechanics have been thrown out of whack, and I worry that that's going to be something that is a problem for him going forward. 
Yeah, I think the age and it's, this year is a big one, as you said, for Sims. So we'll have a close eye on him next year. I just I know why they get so many questions. He's a, he's a Georgia product, a Gwinnett kid, so it's easy to focus on him. But uh, Sims is going to be a guy who could be good and could not. It's one of those very very high variance guys. Um, you know, I mean, he's 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 definitely a pitcher that's capable of like you know ten twelve strikeout performances nightly. He has that kind of stuff. And then when the, he's and, the, and then disasters on the other nights. So, yeah, we just yeah. have to keep, we, we just have to keep Brad away from his games because he was doing really well until Brad that's, decided to start showing up. That's absolutely starts. right. The first uh, kiss of death, the fall apart start for Lucas Sims happened when, when I was at Gwinnett this year. So I, I'll take the blame for that. Um, before we finish up the mailbag, get up to some uh, some big takeaways for the year. Uh, Ricky Ricky Kennedy, I think I'm getting that right. Sorry if I'm not. Asks, is there any winter league baseball that we should be keeping up with? Uh, in the coming months. And Winter League is obviously not a big thing for most casual fans, but diehards and prospect guys, I know like you, love Winter League. So we'll tell people <laughs> what to do and where, where, the, where they should be paying attention, all that stuff. Okay, so uh, as of right now, the Arizona Fall League is going to be weekly updates from us. Uh, that's going to be the first taste of off-season quote-unquote winter ball that we're going to have. There's, there are a bunch of players. Uh, it was going to have Alex Albies. Uh, but obviously he's hurt, so he's no longer going to be participating. But Travis Demerit, Dustin Peterson, there's going to be pitchers there that we that you're going to want to see. Um, so I've that's where you're going to want to start your looking your look because the Arizona Fall League roster for the Braves is pretty loaded. Uh, but the way the Arizona Fall League works, ultimately there might be one or two Braves players playing on a given day. Uh, it's just kind of how it works down there. So weekly updates, I think, are going to work better as opposed to the daily we tried last year, and it was like. Okay, well, this one Braves player who's not really a prospect, he's, you know, he went 0 for 4. Okay, it was nice talking to everybody. Um, after that, there's a lot of Winter League baseball. There's, like, the Venezuelan Winter League, Dominican. There's there's even, like, Australian and Mexican Winter Leagues. And there will be prospects at, in all of these places. Um, it's hard to say with certainty right now where – what prospects are going to be playing where, and if they're going to be high-level prospects. Um, you want some guys to get more time. Um, famously, Evan Gaddis went to the Venezuelan Winter League and this, you know, crushed the ball, uh, which got him a lot of attention, which ultimately got him promoted. Um, and this past, this past year, we had guys like Adonis Garcia and Hector Oliveira and guys like that who were in these Winter Leagues, and they, were, they required our attention. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case this offseason. Um, and it's not something we know yet. Uh, we'll, we'll know kind of as the off season progresses and even past the Arizona fall league as to who's going to be participating in like the Venezuelan winter league, the Dominican winter league, uh, and things like that. Uh, we are going to try to do weekly updates of those as well. Uh, I wish Garrett was here. He was going to try to be on the podcast tonight, but he was having some hardware issues. Uh, he would champion that for us, uh, this past year. And I cannot, describe to you how much affection I had for him because mining all of those box scores for those numbers looked impossible to me. Most of them are in Spanish and it's not they're, they're, these are not user friendly box scores that we're dealing with. So Garrett somehow managed to put it together and had every prospect and had detailed you know information on them. Uh, and he's certainly interested in doing that kind of coverage this year if we have some guys that are maybe worth following. Uh, but if it's a lot of guys, you know, who are just continuing to play professional baseball because they, you know, they want to keep, you know, getting paid to play baseball uh, before the regular season, um, that m- might be semi less regular updates than that. Yeah. So the short answer is stay tuned to talkingshop.com, and we will have 
as much uh, content as you can handle. But uh, <laughs> and also shout out to Garrett who we would have had. And but yeah, I, I heard a couple of stories of uh, coming through Spanish box scores last year. So yes. I, can't, I don't envy anyone that has to do that. So shout out to Garrett. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just like sent me this link. He's like, do you know who he's talking about here? And I'm like, I have no idea. You lots know? <laughs> of lo- lots of Google Translate for Garrett. So yeah, impressive work. It was it was, it was it was a t- it was a tough road for him for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and before. Before I let you go, Eric, we have to. I, I want you to give me some uh, some big takeaways. Actually, let's start on the negative side. What were some negative things that you didn't expect that transpired during 2016? Because you know most of the stuff is overwhelmingly positive about Braves prospects stuff. Because there's just so many guys and the system is ranked so highly. Give me a couple of things that, that disappointed you during 2016. It could be a guy we already talked about or a guy we haven't. Just a you know a thing or two about a couple of guys. Um, so I, I'm with. I'm with copy in that a lot of the guys who are like high minors prospects, we're talking about Aaron Blair, Matt Whistler, uh, even to some respects, uh, Fulty, they didn't really take the step forward that I was hoping for. Um, and you would like to see out of, uh, out of these guys. Um, Sean Newcomb, this is our first real look at him this year. Uh, I can see where his stuff, his stuff would play up and get people's attention. Uh, but I just did not think much of his command. Uh, I've kind of slowly bumped him down, you know, a spot here and a spot there on my lists. Um, he's a guy that you know doesn't have the same amount of experience uh, as a lot of pitchers uh, his age and with you know coming out of college. So I can respect that, and you know, given that he is being accelerated quickly despite that level of experience, I can understand some guys not wanting to jump ship so quick. So. So quickly, uh, I talked to Hudson Belinsky for a while about Sean uh, from Baseball America, and he seems to be a believer in his stuff. And you know, you don't find lefties like him. Uh, but they, everyone seems to agree that they wish they had, he had taken a step forward. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Braxton Davison. Uh, I'm I'm all but done with him as a prospect. Uh, I I get that he has real power and it's raw, but his approach is so bad. He's just he is just content to just sit there with the bat on his shoulders and he gets a lot of strikeouts looking. He's not his pitch recognition is not there and I get that he's a young guy and that he's been young at every level he's been at, but I just don't see the signs of him getting any better uh, as a hitter that I would like to see. He seems he seems to be getting worse as he's progressing, and you know when you're batting you know two ten you know it doesn't really matter how much you know raw power you have necessarily. Um, because you know we heard at the beginning of the year that you know he led the system with exit velocity is kind of what the general consensus was. So he was hitting the ball in the nose, but he, he a lot of times he just doesn't take this bat off his shoulder, uh, and you know he has to know what the strike zone is. He needs to know what he needs to be defending. You know, defending the right pitches and understanding what he needs to be doing as a hitter. And I just didn't see that happening this year. Um, and uh, it it started coming on later in the year, but people were not giving enough love to Mike Sirocco, which is a negative thing for me in 2016. But you know, people started coming around towards the end. I was gonna say, I assume Sirocco's gonna be on the positive list because he always is for you. But I'm glad you got him. In uh, there. Uh, he he has made it into the top 50 of at least one prospect list uh, very recently that came out, uh, and I expect him to continue climbing lists. Uh, he's very very good. You know, some people have him as the fourth best pitcher in the Rome Rome rotation. I think those people are crazy. Um, He's he's been he's you know he's he's been awesome. Uh, you don't really put up video game numbers like he does, where it's like no walks, strike out an inning, and just solid all board. And the kid's nineteen years old, so sign me up. 
yeah, that's your guy and forever. So it, uh, one uh, and if I, he makes it, I am for I am forever connected. I am forever yeah, connected. Yeah, one and if he makes it, no one will be happier than me because I'll be so happy for you. Oh. Uh, anyway, that was uh, that was supposed oh. to be a joke, but I guess I guess it didn't work out. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we hit we hit on the negative guys. Uh, give me some positive. We got to end end on some optimism here. Give me a few guys who impressed you more, either more than the consensus or more than you thought they would during 2016 and guys that we can be encouraged about moving forward that maybe even off the radar. Uh, Max Fried coming back from his injury. Oh, he yes. Fin- he, fin- he, fin- he finished the year very strong. Um, I have concerns. Uh, he had a little bit of trouble keeping the ball in the ballpark this year. Now it's hard to tell as to whether or not that was rust and just you know like you know like you know maybe a, a pitch here and there just kind of got away from him and you know got he got punished for it. Uh, but towards the end of the year, he was extraordinarily good, and he's probably one of the best, better lefties, uh, better lefty pitching prospects I would imagine in baseball. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how prospect writers and you know the guys who make these rankings treat him with top 100 consideration because I think he probably at least warrants some consideration there. Um, he, he was a little bit older for the level, but he missed a bunch of time, so it's kind of for me. I think he deserves more love than he's getting from a lot of the national guys, but he's been amazing. Um, let's see, uh, positive guys. Uh, Colby Aller coming back from injury was also really really good. I didn't he. he he was kind of a guy that was weird for me in the sense that, like, with his build, he's kind of a really small, wiry guy. So I just never really saw the athleticism necessarily. But watching him pitch, he really does know how to pitch, go inside, go outside. And really, he seems to be not just relying on his stuff, which a lot of guys his age do. He seems to be really trying to work through how to strategically be a pitcher. Um... Who else did I really like? I mean, Patrick Weigel is another guy. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of us and was among the better pitchers for that Rome pitching staff, and he has a real live arm. Uh, oh, and I would be remiss. Austin Riley, his second half was comically good. He went from, you know, really like, oh, I wonder if maybe he's ready enough in the first half to, like, blasting 17 home runs in the second half and being like, oh, Oh, that's right. That's the guy that we had all fallen in love with at the end of the year last year. So he was really, really good. And while he had entirely too many errors at third base, he did seem to be making some strides. Uh, and he has the arm for it. So hopefully he can stick at third and he could be something really exciting down the road. Yeah, I mean, Austin Riley is a guy who I think people are really polarized on. There's some, there's a, there's a camp on Riley where they're like sold on him long term as like a guy, like a real guy. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a camp with like, that I absolutely hate him as a prospect. I think he's like the most one of the most polarizing guys in the whole system for whatever well, reason. I don't the, really know why. What happened? Well, it, it's because of Keith Law. <laughs> um, is the short version of the story. Keith Law is dug in on Austin Riley having what he calls slider bat speed, which is that he, he can't hit a fastball and he can't catch up with higher end velocity. And we just did not see that. We, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he has like you know this crazy like you know Gary Sheffield, Barry Bonds type bat speed or anything like that because that'd be silly. But he has average to you know maybe a tick above or below average, which just means his timing has to be right and his pitch recognition has to be good. And the kid's 18 years old, so when he started off this year, you know he didn't really know what a lot of these event you know these these you know these college guys and these guys that are just coming out of rookie ball who. These guys are better than what he saw in rookie ball, and they're going to try his best to fool him, or you know, try his best to you know make him earn it. And he just didn't have his timing down, and he was still putting up decent numbers. They weren't awesome, uh, but then you saw him kind of continuing to put in the work and kind of you know getting to know these pitchers and getting to you know know how people were pitching him. And 
all of a sudden in the second half, I mean, these, it's not like these guys were throwing any less hard or they were you know, doing anything differently. He figured it out. So he might be just a guy that takes a little while to get going and, and develop, but he's making all the adjustments you need to do to be a good hitter. And, I mean, they, once you start seeing him continuing to progress, you're going to see his walk numbers go up because no one's going to want to pinch this guy because he's going to hit it at 420 feet the other way. Yeah, I just it, I guess that I guess your explanation breaks it down quite nicely as to why he's so polarizing. But it's uh, I, I always yeah, find, I always it, find it, it strange. Yeah, it's it's very much a strikeout bat speed issue, uh, and Which a lot of it's sense. been. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 he has struck out too much, and that's a worthy consideration. But seeing the development and the improvements he's made, I'm I'm much more on board with him being good. Uh, and a lot and a lot of the guys who I've been talking to. Uh, you know, scouts and guys like that, they generally lead that way as well, is that he's been getting a lot better and he could be something special. Well, let's hope that's true on Austin Riley, and uh, I like Keith Law quite a bit. I hope he's wrong on that one. Oh, I love Keith, too. I love yeah, Keith. Keith does a good job. Um, all right, before I let you get out of here, Eric, I need a prediction or two for 2017. Uh, you know, outside of Mike Soroka, who we think is going to win the Cy Young in like three years. Uh, two. Two years, oh, sir. Oh, two years, sorry. <laughs> two years, um, sir. Outside of outside of that <laughs> uh, prediction, uh, either positive or negative uh, for 2017, and what you know, whether it be a guy you like or don't like, uh, fire something at me. For, uh, whether it could be it could be as bold as you want it to be, but a prediction for 2017. Okay, the top the top prospect in the Atlanta Braves organization by the end of 2017 will be Kevin Maton. That's like sort of hot, but not really a hot take. Not really. I think he's like. I, don't, I wonder how. I wonder there will like, not there will not be a pitcher. In the top three Braves prospects. Ooh, give me the give me the three. I, you have to you have to give me the three then. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Kevin Maton. Okay. Ronald Acuna. Ooh, okay. We said his uh, name on the and podcast. Austin, and Austin Riley. Ahead of all the pitchers. Not, I, yep, and then all the pitchers. I, I and I would argue that Junior Severino might get closer to that top three than you would think. Does that mean? Uh, in, I know this is supposed to be a bold prediction, so I won't like grill you on it. But does does that mean that a guy like I don't know Max Fried is in the big leagues and not eligible? Uh, no, not not big league promotions aren't going to be affecting this particular list, and it's going to be have to do more with the guys taking step forwards. I just like want, I want, I want to pin you down on just how aggressive this is. No, no, this is, no, it no is. it's 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 not it's not going to be promotions. Uh, I think that there's going to be a combination of guys like Newcomb who might be ranked a little bit lower. And guys like you know Mike Soroka, Colby Allard, who are just going to continue to progress as teenagers are supposed to. But there's going to be guys behind them taking big jumps and coming into their own. Um, so, and those are the three guys that I really have my eye on. Um, let's see who else. Uh, let's. Uh, I do. I do not see Braxton Davison being in the top twenty-five prospects at all. Um, let's see. Yeah, think here for. I'm a second. writing all these down. But right no, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I will own my mistakes and my bold predictions. That I is cannot fine. wait to play this clip for you. In 12 months. <laughs> um. Uh, I also do not think that the Braves will be picking in the top four this year. Um, which means that, but I also think that that the prospect that they will have drafted in the next draft will be considered a top sixty prospect. In baseball, by the end of 2017. Okay, sure. Um, that's it's more of a belief in how they do things. Um, let's see what else. 
just trying to think if there's any other guys that would really be. Uh, and I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Patrick Weigel's gonna be a top ten a top a top ten prospect in the system. He probably already is one anyway. But we're just gonna go ahead and say he's definitely gonna be one. All right, I'm here for that. I don't mind it in any way. Um, okay, well that's gonna be enough, I think, for today. Uh, especially, I hope you guys caught that little mention about about the Braves not having a top four pick. Uh, that kind of I want that just marinate in the minds of the people. Yeah. Well. So the 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 Twins clinched today. The number yeah, one that's pick, over. That, that, number that, number that, one's done. over. The, there is about two and a half, three games that separate second from seventh right now. Hmm. That that there there the the tank is real for some of these teams, and some of these teams are not playing well. And I would not include the Braves among those teams. They're playing. The Braves are playing well. So if they just win, if they just you know get you know go 500 or a little bit above 500 the rest of the way, it's possible they could be out of the top five. Uh, I mean, it's if it's possible, if you tell me it's possible, then it's possible, Eric. I believe you. <laughs> I, I do think it's, it's kind of crazy, though. We went, we went from talking about number one for you know three months to, oh, we'll be, we'll, we'll, at least we'll be top two, to now it's like, maybe not. Well, if, if, we can just talk about a few of these teams really quick. Because, um, I mean, like the, the Twins have, the, their spiral downhill has been... To say it's been impressive is, you know, an understatement to say the least. So, but they're at they're at fifty six wins. The Braves are at sixty three. Cincinnati has sixty five. Arizona has sixty four. San Diego sixty six. Shout out to Carlos Colazzo. San Diego Padres. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 Tampa Bay has sixty five. Now, of any of those teams, do you foresee them winning very many games at all the rest of the year? Uh, you know. No. <laughs> I mean, Arizona has been really, really bad. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati has been not playing well at all. I, 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 see, I, I genuinely see a situation where the Braves are playing well and all of a sudden they find themselves with a, you know, the number five pick in the draft. Uh, you know, at this point, and again, I don't think it, it's always been overrated anyway, but two versus five, you know, that, that, that would matter. It's a kind of a bigger jump. Sort of, then one to two, but in the end, man, the Braves are going to do what they're going to do in the draft. It yeah. almost doesn't matter. Uh, absolutely, you know that there is a. The, I'm starting to hear more and more that there's the, the the number one pick is going to matter a lot in this draft because people are starting to kind of buy in more and more to Hunter Green being as you know being a monster. Um, you know sure. he's um, so, but you know after that two through five, I mean, there's a lot of different guys that you could you could take with any of those spots. Um, so I don't think that the Braves are going to get a bad player uh, by any stretch of the imagination, and I think it's actually likely that the that picking maybe maybe in the fourth or fifth spot works better for the Braves timeline maybe because a lot of those high upside prep pitchers or you know those prep guys that would maybe take a while would might be maybe taken before that, and they might be able to get one of those you know those college outfielders that are just you know that are what they are. They might not end up being all stars. They don't. They're not guys to necessarily dream on. But they're very good players, uh, and if they're wanting to compete a little sooner, uh, those are kind of guys that are useful. So, absolutely. And listen, you know it's draft stuff. I, we'll have plenty of time to get in twenty seventeen <laughs> draft, and I know you will be doing that along with all of your crew, Eric. I think I speak for everyone who listens to this podcast and reads the site, uh, and, to, and thanking you guys for killing it all year. Uh, shout out, shout out your whole team, so I don't miss anybody. 
Uh, they, uh, you know, Garrett Spain, Gravadag, Matt Powers, everybody. Everybody's been working super, super hard. Uh, we've gotten a lot of help from everybody. Um, you know, special shout out to Ivan the Terrible, who you know, whatever we've needed him to do a talking shop, whether it be minor league <laughs> coverage to doing whatever. He, the guy does everything, and he does it really well. So I, the whole the whole team of Talking Shop has been outstanding this year. Uh, we're really fortunate that you know, for some for whatever reason, you guys have wanted to, you know, follow the minor league stuff as avidly as you have, and it's been a ton of fun for us. So, uh, definitely, big thanks to you guys as well. And there you have it, uh, Eric. We'll have to do this again shortly. We will not be taking the uh, the winner off of prospect coverage, but I did want to wrap this thing up before the actual season ends, so we can all get a little bit of rest once things cool down just a tad bit. Uh, I think yeah, we'll things, things have cooled <laughs> down for you just a little bit. The season's over at least. Uh, yeah, I've got a. I, I only have two interviews scheduled for this week. Uh, so one is actually one actually just got back to me uh, while this was happening, uh, and then uh, I've got another interview I'm gonna be doing. Uh, so we're gonna still have stuff rolling onto the site. Um, uh, we're gonna have lots of end of season type stuff too. Uh, all the guys seem to be working on something or another right now. So uh, you know things are a little easier to manage right now, but it doesn't mean we're gonna be staying. You know, we're not gonna be staying busy. Absolutely. We'll always be here, and uh, thanks again, Eric, for coming on and doing this. We'll be back next week with a more Major League-centric uh, podcast as we wrap up the season, because that will be the last day of the season. So we'll talk some more uh, wide-ranging stuff then, and uh, thanks as always for listening, guys. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please go do that on iTunes. Give us a positive review, preferably five stars. If you think this podcast is great, and we hope that you do. If you don't, let us know why, so we'll try to fix it. And uh, thanks again, everybody, and keep staying tuned to TalkingShop.com for all your Braves needs. Thanks, guys.